Well, good morning, church. Hey, why don't you grab your Bibles at this time, and uh, why don't you find the book of Romans, if you will, Romans chapter 9. Uh, you got your uh, Gospels, and then you got the book of Acts, and then you'll find the Gospel uh, epistle of Romans, and we'll be in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll be in Romans 10, verse 1, as we continue this morning in our ongoing sermon series, Lord, Teach Us to Pray, learning about uh, prayer in the Bible. Uh, if you were with us last week, we sort of had an overview of the different types of prayers in the scriptures. What we'll start this morning and continue on for the next several weeks is look a little bit more in depth at uh, some of those types of prayers. And this morning, we are going to take a look at a prayer that, um, that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 10, his prayer for the lost, praying for those who yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I trust that you're there. I'm going to ask you to do this. If you're able, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God together? So if you're able, would you please stand? We're going to read Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, and then Romans chapter 10, verse 1, together. Let's hear the Word of the Lord. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. If you'll flip one page over and take a look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Paul picks up his thought there. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. This is God's holy word. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask now that you would come in power, that your spirit would be at work as the word of God is read and preached, and I pray that you would give us a burden for the lost as you have a burden for the lost, and that you would help us to have a burden for those who have yet to trust in Christ as Paul had a burden for those who are yet to trust in Christ. And I pray that you would teach us to pray as Paul prayed for those who have yet to trust in Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. God's people said together, amen. You can have a seat. Lyle Dorset, in his wonderful little book, A Passion for Souls, tells a true story about the power of praying for the salvation of the lost. The story is about the man on the screen behind me. He may be a familiar name or face, Dwight L. Moody, of course, established Moody Bible Church up in Chicago. In 1872, Dr. Moody was going to England, not for uh, preaching or teaching, but simply to get away. He traveled to England for some rest, and so, as the story goes, he was sitting in a, a, a London park, and he was sitting on the bench, and there was a, a local pastor there in London 
who spotted Moody and knew who he was and uh, begged him to come preach at his church that the people uh, were hardened to the gospel message. So would you please, please come preach? And Moody agreed to do that. And so the first Sunday morning came and Moody preached his heart out and shared as clearly and as passionately as he could the gospel message. And at the end of his message, he uh, gave an impassioned plea for all who have not yet trusted in Christ as Savior uh, to come forward and to believe in Jesus and not a soul uh, moved from the pews. And so he was, uh, of course, uh, frustrated and, and a little disappointed about that. Uh, and so that evening, well, Sunday church came. And so Moody came back to the church that Sunday. And he shared the gospel as he had before. However, the response was completely different. In fact, it was overwhelmingly different. So that Moody uh, came to the end of his sermon and he said, if you want to trust in Christ, I want you to stand right now. And over 300 people stood in that congregation and he was flabbergasted. He couldn't believe it. In fact, uh, he, he didn't think that they understood what was happening. And so he said, okay, okay, okay. Everybody sit down. Just just sit down. And he, and he thought to himself, I need to make the gospel message more clear. And so he went through the plan of salvation uh, again. And he said, okay, now, if anyone wants to trust in Christ, let, let's go to the room. Uh, they, they called it an inquiry, inquiry room. And so let's go make your way back there to the inquiry room if you want to trust in Christ. Well, more people stood up and, and started to, to gather in the inquiry room. And he didn't... He, he didn't know what to do. And so he thought, well, surely they don't understand what I'm asking them to do in light of, well, their earlier lack of response. And he said, okay, folks, I tell you what, um, I have to leave tomorrow. And so anybody who wants to learn more about trusting in Christ, come back to church tomorrow evening. The pastor then will deal with you, right? He's just sort of punting, right? The pastor will deal with you then. He just didn't believe that they were genuinely interested. And so uh, he set sail across across the Irish Sea on Monday, but no sooner had he reached Dublin that the pastor sent him an urgent message that Monday night because he, more inquirers had come to church on Monday night than had been there on Sunday. And so he knew that something genuine was happening. He sensed in his heart somebody had to be praying. Somebody had to be seeking the Lord for such a response to happen. And so he started asking questions and he started to inquire. And eventually he was led to the bedside of a young woman who was bedridden because of uh, some chronic illness. And the young woman's name was Marianne Adelard. Marianne Adelard. And as he found out, she had been praying often and regularly that God would send revival to her, to her church there in London. And not only that, but he came to find out that she had been praying because she had heard about Moody and his crusades and his preaching back in Chicago. So she had been asking the Lord, Lord, would you send this man to my church? And lo and behold, God answered her prayers. That Sunday morning, that lackluster Sunday morning, her sister also attended her church. And her sister came back from church and she said, uh, Hey, guess what? We had a guest preacher today. And Marianne said, Oh, uh, who is that? And her sister said, Oh, some man named Moody from the United States. And she knew then and there that God had answered her prayers. And so she spent the entire afternoon, that Sunday 
afternoon praying, asking the Lord to soften the hearts of the people and to save those who are lost. And God answered a prayer like that. Friends, this morning, that's the type of prayer that we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, and Romans chapter 10, verse 1. And if I could summarize my sermon for you this morning, it would be something like this. I think we see from Paul's experience that anguish over and love for the lost leads us to pray for their salvation. What we're going to see from Paul's experience is that he had anguish His heart was broken for the lost state of those who didn't know Christ. And he had love for them. And his anguish and his love for them then led him to praying that they would be saved. And so in verses 1 through 4, we're going to see Paul's anguish for the lost. We're going to see his love for the lost. And then in in chapter 10, verse 1, we're going to see him praying for the lost. So let's begin in chapter 9. Hopefully you still have your Bibles open. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, Paul's anguish in his love for the lost is demonstrated in these four verses um, in three points. Number one, in verse 1, we'll see Paul's affirmation. Paul's affirmation. In verse 2, we'll see his anguish, his anguish of heart. And then in verse 3, we'll see his aspiration. But before we sort of jump into the text, I just want to set the context. Chapter 9 in the book of Romans begins what is a pretty lengthy section in the book of Romans, chapters 9, 10, and 11. And in this section of the book, Paul deals with God's dealings, his relationship, his interaction with the Jewish people as a whole. Remember, his covenant people. And the question that must have been on Paul's readers' minds that he is trying to answer is this. How can God be faithful to his promises to the Jewish people? How can God be faithful to his promises to his covenant people in light of the fact that as a whole, the Jewish people had rejected Jesus as their Messiah? What what can be done with the fact that Jesus is a Jewish Messiah, but they had rejected him. That is what Paul deals with in the entirety of the section. But the section begins in verses 1 through 4, and Paul, you can see his emotions here. He's sort of wearing his emotions on his sleeve as he writes these opening verses to this section. He speaks very openly, very personally, very passionately about how he feels about his fellow Jews. And so with that in mind, let's see Paul's affirmation starting in verse 1. It begins then with a, a sort of solemn oath, if you will, a, a threefold affirmation regarding his personal feelings about the lost state of his own people. Paul says again in verse 1, he says, I speak the truth in Christ. In other words, Paul is trying to get us and his readers to understand What I'm saying is true. I'm not lying. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. And so he he, um, calls upon three witnesses, like any good Jew would. Three witnesses here to affirm that the statement that he's going to make in verse 2 is true. And what are those witnesses? Well, notice the first. He says, I speak the truth. What? 
in Christ. He says, because I am in Christ and Christ is in me, I'm about to say something that's true. Secondly, notice his own clear conscience. He says, I'm I'm not only in Christ and I'm going to tell you the truth, but he says, my conscience, my own conscience, confirms this. It's clear. And then the third thing, he calls upon the person of the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit confirms this. And so clearly, he wants to underscore the seriousness and the soberness of what he is about to say next. So here's the question. Does Paul really want us to believe that what he is about to say about his own feelings in verse 2 is accurate and true? Yes or no? Yes, right? Very clearly. I mean, he is so clear, right? So what could be all that important? What is he going to share with us in verse 2 that he wants it to be crystal clear that he's not lying, that he's telling the truth? Well, let's see Paul's anguish. In verse 2, we see his affirmation in verse 1. Now we see his anguish in verse 2. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Now we don't really exactly know what his sorrow is about, or why he has sorrow, or what this, this unceasing, this permanent anguish in his heart is about. We don't know unless we keep reading, but because we've kept reading, we know what it is, right? Friends, let me ask you, why does Paul have great sorrow in his heart? What is it that causes him to have unrelenting, unceasing anguish? Why is Paul always walking around heartbroken? What is it? It's because he has brothers and sisters. He has uh, uh, neighbors and uncles and aunts. He has fellow Jews who have rejected Jesus. Let me ask it this way. How does the eternal damnation and the current lost state of unbelievers in general, and unbelieving Jews to be specific, how does that make Paul feel? I have great sorrow. I have unceasing anguish in my heart. R.C. Sproul, the late great Presbyterian pastor, puts words in Paul's mouth. It's as if Paul is saying, I swear to you that I am a burdened man that I walk around with great sorrow and with a constant sense of grief in my heart. And so, very clearly, the lost state of unbelievers caused Paul great sorrow. The question we have to answer is this. Does it for us? Do we feel the same way when we think of our lost neighbor when we think of our lost sister, when we think of our lost child, when we think of our lost co-worker, when we think of our lost neighbor, how does it make us feel? I would submit that we should feel like Paul feels, that we should have great sorrow and that we should have unceasing anguish in our hearts. 
So we've seen Paul's affirmation. I'm telling you the truth. We've seen his anguish, unceasing anguish. And if that weren't enough, as we begin in verse 3, we see Paul's aspiration. Verse 3 and into verse 4, we see his aspiration. That is, he continues to explain his burden for lost people, for his fellow lost Jew in particular, by speaking of a wish that God could never possibly grant. Paul is going to articulate that he desires something that he knows theologically and biblically could never happen. It's astounding. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, For I could wish, Paul is sort of like hypothetically, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. Why? For the sake of my people, for those of my own race, for the people of Israel. See, it it, it wasn't enough just for Paul to sort of have an emotional response to the reality of those who are lost. It, It wasn't sufficient just to feel sad about it, although that was a right emotion. He wishes, he desires that he could actually demonstrate his love for them. In, in an even more active way. What, what is Paul saying here, friends? I mean, what is Paul saying? The language that he uses, did you notice it? He says, I wish that I myself were, were cursed. That I myself were cut off from Christ. This speaks of final and fatal separation from Christ in the age to come for all eternity. What is Paul saying? He's saying, I love them so much that if it were possible that I would go to hell and they would go to heaven. That's that's what he's saying. F.F. Bruce uh, rightly points out that that Paul's wish here, it's it's similar to... um, What Moses tells the Lord. Remember the incident back in Exodus chapter 32. Uh, God brought his people out of Egypt, right? And uh, Moses is up on the mountain, and the people are behaving themselves uh, very good, right? Not so much, right? They they turn to to sexuality, and they turn to idol worship, right? And uh, the, the famous line from Aaron, right? When Moses asks him, how did this golden calf, this idol... How did this get here? Well, it just kind of jumped out of the fire. Right? It just happened. Um, so all of that mess was going on, and God tells Moses, in my paraphrase, I'm going to wipe them all out. I'm going to kill every single one of them, and I'm going to start over with you. And how does Moses respond to that? Exodus 32, 32. But now, Lord, please forgive their sin. But if not, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Moses is essentially saying, I don't want to live if my fellow Israelites die. Right? Kill me, spare them, is what Moses is saying. And and Paul, he sort of takes a a page from Moses' playbook, but he he takes it another step. He says, I would welcome perdition if it means salvation for them. Friends, if this is not love, what is? If this is not a demonstration of Paul's love for the lost, 
I don't know what is. Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher, he once said about another fellow preacher, John Bunyan, John Bunyan, that he often felt, that is Bunyan, that Bunyan often felt while he was preaching that he could give his own salvation for the salvation of his hearers. And then he sticks the knife in a little deeper and he adds, and I pity the man who has not felt the same. As a preacher, that's challenging to me. Because Paul's essentially saying, oh my hearers, I would give my salvation away for you. I would go to hell if you could only go to heaven. And so the question is, do we ever feel this way? Here we see not only do we need a burden for the lost, but we need to have a tangible love for the lost. Pastor, preacher, author John MacArthur says it this way. He says, he says it was exactly Paul's great love for the lost that made him such a powerful instrument in the hands of God. Evangelism has little effect if the evangelist has little love for the lost. Brothers and sisters, we need to humbly go before God and ask ourselves, do we love those who are heading to hell like Paul loves those who are heading to hell and like God loves those who are heading to hell without faith in Christ? Bill Hendrickson, he says of Paul's words here, He says, this is clearly the language of a Christian. The person who is unconcerned about those who are perishing may well wonder whether he is a Christian at all. So friends, we have to dig deep and we have to ask ourselves, do we care like that? Can we say the words to some degree like Paul is saying? Just think about this type of love for a moment. What type of love that Paul is articulating, I wish that I myself could be cut off from Christ and they would be saved. What kind of love, or better yet, whose love does this remind you of? Anybody? I think it reminds us of the love of Christ. It reminds us of the love of our Savior. In fact, Denny calls Paul's wish here, it's a spark, like a little, it's a spark from the fire of Christ's substitutionary atonement. For he is prepared to die in their place. Martin Luther goes further. And he, he says on Paul's wish, he says, It seems incredible that a man would desire to be damned in order that the damned might be saved. Friends, that is exactly what Christ has done for us. And so we've seen Paul's affirmation, we've seen his anguish, we've seen his, his aspiration. And what I want us to do now is just to spend a moment in prayer. I'm going to lead us in a, a quick moment of prayer. But what I want each and every one of us to do is to pray for two things. Number one, let's pray that we would have um, a heart for the lost like Paul has demonstrated. And then two, let's pray that we would have a love for them that we would have a heart for them, and that we would have a love for them. And so, friends, where you're, where you're at, in your pew, let's pray just for a moment, silently before the Lord, and then we'll transition and close off our sermon, and uh, we'll close in song here momentarily. So let's just pray right now.
Father, we pray that you would break our hearts for those who don't know you, that you would give us unceasing anguish in our hearts because of their lost estate, and that you would give us a willingness to demonstrate that love for them as Paul wished and desired that he could. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now we move from Paul's anguish to his asking. So if you'll turn in your Bibles one page over to Romans chapter 10, and we'll we'll close by looking at one short verse, but it's a significant verse. Chapter 10, verse 1. Paul writes there, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they might be saved. And so Paul uh, transitions from the beginning of Romans chapter 9. He shares emotionally about his love for the lost. And then he has some rather important things to say about the lost in Israel at the end of, at the end of chapter 9. But as he, as he picks back his argument in chapter 10, um, he, he, we see this emotional response coming uh, to the forefront once again. And, and certainly there are some links between our, our two passages here. In both, Paul mentions his heart. He says his heart is sorrowful in chapter 9. He says it's his heart's desire in chapter 10 that they be saved. In chapter 9, he he expresses a hypothetical wish that, that he would be cursed if they could be saved. But in verse 10, he expresses his desire and his prayer that they would be saved. And so now he addresses his brothers and sisters in Christ in the church of Rome. And he testifies that it is both his desire and his prayer... It's his prayer that the Jews would be saved. Now, we don't know. What did he pray? He never recorded it for us. So we don't know the content of his prayer. But, but friends, did Paul pray for the lost? Yes or no? Yes. He clearly prayed for the lost. He testifies. It's his desire to do so. And he says he does pray to God that they might be what? Saved. That they might be saved. Um, And so we have to ask, saved from what? What does Paul want them to be saved from? If you just take a look at the book of Romans, it's clear. 121, from the wrath of God. 2-2, from God's judgment. Uh, 2-6, from the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. And so Paul understands rightly the lost estate and the lost future of every person who is outside of faith in Christ. It is unambiguous and it is clear. And for that reason, Paul yearns for them. He longs for them. His heart is broken because of the destiny at which they are going to suffer if they don't turn and put their faith in Christ. He wants those who are lost to be saved. And so the question becomes, who are we praying for? Who are we praying for that they would be saved? Who are the, quote, Jews in our lives? And so I want to challenge you here. Can you, will you, this week, choose one person, maybe two if you want to be a go-getter, one person, maybe two, in your life that you don't know that they have trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation? And would you commit to pray for that one person every day this week? And what we're going to do is we're going to close and we're going to respond to this truth that having anguish over and love for the lost should prompt us, should lead us to pray for their salvation. We're going to respond to this truth in a couple ways. I'm going to pray and the worship team is going to come and we're going to sing a couple verses of a closing song. And then I'm going to lead us in a time of praying for that one person. So be thinking of that one person. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, praying for the lost, 
based upon the Word of God, and then we'll close our time in song. So would you pray with me as the worship team comes? We're going to respond in song, surrendering our hearts and our prayer lives to the Lord, and then we're going to pray for the lost, and then we'll close in song. Father, we pray that you would do a work in our midst. God, break our hearts for the way, uh, the way that Paul's heart has been broken for the lost. Help us to care for them and to love them and to pray for them as you desire us to. We entrust all of these things to you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and sing as we close, would you? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So would you pray for a moment that this person would come to the Father through faith in Jesus? Let's pray. Let's pray that, uh, that God would open their hearts to believe the gospel. We know that our hearts are hardened and that we're blind. And we need people to have eyes to see. Acts 16, 14, the Lord opened our heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. So let's pray for that person, that they would have open eyes and ears to, to believe in the gospel. God would remove Satan's influence. We see in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes, In the case of the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So pray for a moment that their eyes would be opened and that Satan would not blind their minds. Let's pray that God would grant them a heart of repentance. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. God, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured, being captured by him to do his will. So let's pray that God would break these folks' heart, and that they would have a repentant heart. Next, we're going to pray for ourselves and our relationship for these these people. Let's pray that that we would be able to develop a relationship with them. Maybe we have a relationship with them. Let's pray that we would continue to love them and demonstrate love as we've talked about. Romans 10, 14, How then will they call on him in who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So let's pray for us as we preach and share the gospel that we would have a, a good relationship with, with this person.
Next, let's pray for boldness. We desperately need to take opportunities to share the gospel. Ephesians 6.19, Paul says, Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So let's just pray for our own hearts. It's hard to share the gospel sometimes, to speak of spiritual truths. So let's pray for our own hearts that we would be bold. Next, let's pray for opportunities to serve this person or people, to minister to them. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. See, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So let's pray for an opportunity to serve these people. now with a couple other verses of I Surrender All. pray that you would just bring um, people into our path this this week, that mm-hmm. you could help us to see where you are at work in their lives and help mm-hmm. us to pray for them yes. and to lift them up in your name, Jesus. Amen. amen. You may leave. See you next week, guys. <laughs> Thanks.